Hi, and welcome to another great life impacting message from Bridge Evangelical Christian Church. For more great content and to learn more about our church, visit becc.church. Enjoy. Book of Ecclesiastes. We have been following Solomon and uh, we have been watching what he's been doing in the way that he's been trying to find meaning and purpose in life. And so i just like to read the scripture again this morning from uh, chapter 5. It says, Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do, know, do not know what they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth, therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools, pay what you vow. It is better that you shouldn't or should not vow rather than you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and many words there is emptiness, rather fear God. Well, we've followed uh, Solomon and he's tried everything under the sun to find satisfaction in life. He did the party thing, the wine, women and song and then he had the material approach and he built lots of houses and gardens and really made life pleasant there. And then he accumulated a lot of wealth. But unfortunately, nothing satisfied so he left his mansion and went out among the people and see how the real world lived, see how they were getting on. But all this did was upset Solomon. He saw people getting treated badly by others and people in high authority doing it. And those that could have done something about it just seemed to ignore it and turned a blind eye. Other people he saw were working very hard but the problem there was they weren't just working hard to earn a living. They were trying to be bigger and better than their neighbours and their rivals. So Solomon went back on home and he re-examined the situation. He thought it over again. And God showed him or reminded him that he has put eternity into the hearts of man. But as I said before, re-examining our position in life is a really important thing to do in everything that we do and in our spiritual condition as well. And at the last officers meeting actually Daryl came up with a number of pages and it was re-examine ourselves how we are ministering 
how we are serving the Lord and serving this church. And we didn't have to report back to Daryl with it, but it was for our own re-examining how effective our ministry and our Christian life is. And so it just goes to show that re-examining our situation is important. So going back to Solomon, seeing that God has put eternity into the hearts of men, the very next place he would visit as a temple. Yep, we're right, he did. He went on down to that temple, that magnificent building of which he had supervised the construction of and he got in there and he started observing. He sat down and wandered around and he watched the people come and go. They were praising God, they were praying, they were sacrificing and making vows. But then he noticed one thing. He thought, he saw many of them, they weren't sincere. They weren't sincere in their worship. They were, they were leaving no better off than when they came. And Warren Weasby says they were actually worse off when they left than when they came. And I think you might get the gist of that as the message goes on. Well, you know, people haven't changed. People still do the same thing today. They come to worship, um, not everybody, I'm not saying everybody, but there's still some people that come to worship because it seems to be the done thing to do and it's what we should do. So we turn up. And maybe even I've done that at some stage in my Christian life. But I have to say that it's not worship at all. That's just attendance. The worship of God is the highest ministry of the church. That's why we're here this morning, to worship him and bring praise to his name. You know, it must come from devoted hearts and yielded wills. I mean, the musos start off in the morning. They practice before they come. And so they should. I mean, they choose songs with meaningfulness. They sing to the best and play to the best of their ability. And we should sing along with them and sing to the best of our ability, making a joyful noise to the Lord. Sing from our hearts. Well, the preacher, he should prepare his message to the best of his ability, put everything into it that he can. And maybe you might not think that I'm a very good preacher. Well, if you listen to me sing, I think you'll accept the preaching. And I try to sing. Because to do anything less would be robbing God. And I'm not wanting to do that. I want to reverence and honour him. And so I want to give him the worship that he deserves. If I did anything else, or we do anything else, it will be considered hypocritical. And according to Warren Weasby, he would say that's sin. And I would agree with him. Warren Weasby also says that the offerings of worship without obedient faith in the heart becomes a sacrifice or worship of fools, because only a fool thinks he can deceive God. You know, it reminds me back what my dad used to say. 
And he said, if somebody is trying to accomplish something and they're going about it the wrong way, they're only dreaming. It's not going to happen. We're looking at 5 verse 3, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. You know, some people do a lot of talking about things, but they never achieve anything much. Like I remember back, quite some years back, out at the model flying field, there were some people they called armchair pilots, and they did a lot of talking about flying, but they never flew much. Armchair pilots, sitting and talking. Because a dream comes through much effort, not sitting and talking. The dream of wanting to be an accomplished radio control pilot doesn't come easy. It's hard work. We want to become mature Christians and know who God is. We need to put our effort in. It is work. We need to be properly informed if we're going to know the one we're worshipping. Effort is required to know God. I think one of the first things we can understand is that God is sovereign. He can do anything he wants. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. That means everything. The other thing I've found to be very, very helpful in my Christian life is uh, Dare's letter study on God's character and his attributes. That is so important to know God. If you're going to trust God, you have to know his character. It's like knowing the guy that lives next door. If you're going to trust him, you have to know something about him, his character and his attributes. Not only that, when you're trying to interpret the word of God, if you know God's character and you know his attributes, and you read a verse and you think, that's not quite making sense, it's not the God I know, then you need to look for another interpretation. It's so helpful. Dr Stanley has this to say, Christians can find peace in the knowledge that our God is sovereign in every nation ruler on earth, though the future of a nation appears to be in the hands of its rulers and makers, an omnipotent hand, which means God possesses all power, removes kings and establishes kings. And we can find an example of that in Daniel 2, verse 21. You know, at first, Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't honour God at all. But he's referred in the scripture as God's servant. God used him. And that can be found in Jeremiah 25, verse 9. You know, so when news comes to us and it threatens to dislodge our peace or cause despair, remember who holds the nations and rulers in his hands. The Lord plans for this world are moving along according to his divine purpose. And no unrighteous ruler will change anything the Lord has put in place to happen. And just keep on singing. He's got the whole world in his hands, says Dr. Stanley. And that's the God we worship this morning, 
the God who is in control of the whole universe. Looking at our individual lives, when we look in Romans 8.27, it says that he's the Lord God intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And in verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together together for good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Um, the will of God and according to his purpose. I believe that. I believe the Lord God is working in this church because he says he works among the saints. There's saints in this church. And so he works here. He gives us assurance of salvation. And that is to say, if you've been born again, nothing's going to change. You'll always remain his. I'd like to read um, Romans 8.30. And whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. This seems to be an ineffectual calling. It doesn't seem to be an invitation. It seems as though all he called have answered that call. It seems quite evident here that all he called he justified and then he continued, the word continues to say those that were justified he will also glorify. If you look around this morning how many glorified saints do you see? I'd say none but I'd ask the question why? Because this is past tense it says it's happened. Well this is a promise and God in his sovereignty will never draw back from his promises or blessings or judgment. And since he cannot lie he is totally steadfast to what he has spoken and so we will all be glorified. If we have been justified, we will be glorified. And I'd like to just read Deuteronomy uh, 7 verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. He will keep his promise. It is a sure thing. You know, on the morning of the 6th um, of August, 1871, Charles Spurgeon said this to the congregation, You are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And I'll just read 1 Corinthians to support that in chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, 
For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And maybe 1 Peter 1.18 would be useful. Knowing this, that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from the futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Now, you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold. Slaves of old time were bought and paid for with silver and gold. But we are a special people. We are not ordinary slaves. We have been redeemed. We have been bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to be a special people for him. The inference here is that we are slaves because we are not of our own. We have been bought. And if we look at Ephesians 1 verse 13, it infers the same thing. It states that we were sealed in him and if we're to do a study on that we would find that it really means it's a contract and that there's a seal placed on that document of sale or agreement. That's what it really means. You know, I got a little bit of a surprise. Uh, I did a bit of reading and um, from a very rare reputable person who uh, teaches and uh, um, writes books and doulos of course is in the Greek means slave and what I read was that this appears in the text uh, a good number of times um, 124 times actually in the original text and went on to say in the King James Version it's only translated once correctly and not really a lot better in some of the later translations. I was a bit surprised by that so I did some study. I started looking it all up and I found that it was pretty much so to the extent that I studied. Now the reason for this is slave is a most unpalatable um, word. So they use the word servant as a substitute in the scriptures. And the US fought a civil war over slavery and Britain had to bring it before Parliament to bring it to an end. And some of you will have heard about John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton transported slaves on board ship. But do you know, when he became a Christian, he became a pastor, and he was one of those that helped to abolish slavery in England. We think of slavery as forced labour. But for Christ's slaves, it's a sort of a paradox, really, because we're volunteer slaves. But there is a warning here. 
as volunteer slaves or servants of the Lord, we can sit and do nothing. We can sit, twiddle our thumbs, waste our Christian years away. But you know, when the day comes to give an account, there's nothing and there's no reward. Maybe just a rebuke. I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 25 and there's a good example here. Starting at verse 14, you might want to follow me. It's the parable of the talents. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And one he gave five talents to another two and another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately one who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and he gained five more. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and bought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put more in charge, uh, um, or put you in more in charge of many more things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who also had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put more in charge. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered uh, no seed. And I was afraid, and went away, and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered, and said to him, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew that I reaped where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has shall more be given and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away and cast out the worst of slave into the outer darkness in that place where um, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't think I need to elaborate on that. I think that example is very clear. Another thing I have observed is a slave is not told everything by his or her master. 
and I believe so it is with us as Christians, as we are Christian slaves. We're not told everything. Some people do, however, want all the answers, but I don't believe they'll be getting them. Romans 11:33 and 34 has something to say. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has became his counsellor? Even if we were told things, I don't think there are things we just wouldn't understand. Job in his sufferings demanded an explanation from God. But you know, he never did get that explanation for all the things that were going wrong in his life. Because knowledge in our mind does not guarantee the healing of our hearts. That comes only, I believe, when we put faith in God and know him. Solomon talks about many words or questions without answers and talks about disagreeing with God as it, he mentions in Ecclesiastes 6 verse 10 and 12. Whatever exists has already been named and it is known what man is for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is for there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow, for who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? Well, I guess only God can. So, no point. Solomon seems to be saying, we have questions without answers in this life. And I guess if we go back to 11.33, who can be God's counsellor? Who can understand all his ways? He didn't actually, Solomon didn't actually use these words. But Solomon said that life is a dead-end street for two kinds of people. Those who have riches but no enjoyment, those who labour but have no satisfaction, and that happiness is not the automatic result of making a good living, it's a blessed byproduct of making a good life. If we were to devote our lives pursuing happiness, we will end up miserable because things don't always go right. However, if we devote our lives to doing God's will, we will find happiness as well. It has been said the essentials to happiness in this life are something to do, someone to love, and someone to hope for, or something to hope for, rather. I believe if you think of that and analyse that, we can find all of those in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Solomon also knew that life was a dead-end street for a third kind of person, the person who wants answers to all of life's questions. Some people, even Christians, seem to oppose God when things don't go the way they think it, it should, you know. Solomon is saying we should not contend with God who is mightier than us. That's in the second half of 10 verse 6. He seems to be saying, this is the way life is. So just accept it, get on with it, let God have his way because you can't win. And really, why would we want to have our own way just for the privilege of exercising freedom, insisting on having our own way, I don't believe is freedom at all. It can be the worst kind of bondage. We just think we're free. I know that many years ago I was only a child and uh, my parents took me to the church. It was only held in a hall and the preacher stood up and uh, he was talking about maybe you'd be a missionary or someone would be a missionary maybe and they would be going to Africa or some place. And I thought, oh no man, I'm going to be free. This God is not getting a hold of me. And so I spent half of my life dodging the Lord God. And I thought I was free. I want to tell you, we aren't free. If we look at the scripture, we'll find that we're slaves to sin. And Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers that they can't see the glorious gospel. I wasn't free. Well, we could pretty well guarantee, I reckon, we wouldn't be happy if we exercised all our own freedom. I know my life is heaps better now knowing Christ. So we wouldn't be happy. And the worst thing that could happen is if we really exercised our own freedom and did what we will, and I think if you examine what the world's doing today, they pretty well are. Worst thing that could happen is God could give us over. Romans 1, chapter 1, verses 24, 26, 28. If you don't know what it says, and you have a read, you'll get a picture of today what's going on he gave them over they didn't take notice Warren Weasby says our greatest freedom comes when we are lovingly lost in the will of God so how are we going how are we going with our worship are we re-examining ourselves as we go through the message this morning you know for me and for anyone else it's really good to come to worship with love for the Lord and others in your heart and have a joy because of the Lord's peace that he's given you, given me. It's not just joy because everything's going my way or your way. It's a joy because we know who the Lord God is and what he's done in our life and what he's going to do for us in our life. Oh, you know, I don't think anyone can teach any of us to love. I really don't. 
one of us can get up here and teach you about all the Greek words of love and what they mean. But I don't think that will teach you to love. I don't think anyone can teach you to have joy. Oh yes, I can take you to the book of Philippians and to have joy no matter what. That's a theoretical study, a biblical study. I don't think that will bring you joy. It will tell you how to achieve it from the word Father. But I don't think that will bring you joy. What about peace? Do you think I can teach you about peace? Maybe. can't give you peace. You won't find peace in me. You won't find peace in the past. You'll find peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. The other thing that's important to notice about these things that I've mentioned, that they're fruit of the Spirit. And unless you're born again, these things don't really exist and they can't be counterfeited either because they're fruit of the Spirit and they're given to those that are saved. And my experience is in life that the more we know him, the more we trust him, the more these fruits seem to be more prominent in our life, along with the rest of them, and the other ones, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know what? I'm glad I'm a Christian. I'm glad I have that fruit because, man, there's some people that I can tell where to get off at times. There really is. And... Uh, I can use that self-control. I can use that peace and patience and kindness. I might be standing up on the inside, but I can sit down at the time, you know. Anyway, all this, all this has a bearing on our worship, how we approach. When we rob God of the worship he deserves, we also rob ourselves. We really do. When we come with grateful hearts and bring worship to our God, we leave better than when we come. Not like those people that Solomon saw in the temple. You want the abundant life? need to know who God really is. Praise and worship. That's what God has called us to do. You know, in farming, having fun, sport, hobbies, or a Christian life, doesn't matter. It's all the same. We get out of it what we put into it. Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, and 2 Corinthians 9, 6, says, which says this, He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. If you, want to, if you want to sow bountifully in your own life, or if you want to teach others, then I would suggest a study Bible. I believe a study Bible is mandatory if you're going to... Um, reap bountifully if you're going to teach
I know I probably wasn't a Christian a year old and I had a study Bible and I've had one ever since. They link everything together and they lead you through the scriptures. Um, you know, if I didn't have a study Bible, I would be robbing myself and I would be robbing you people because I couldn't share what I didn't know. You can't trust a God that you don't know. You need to know him. If your worship and my worship is going to be meaningful, with a sense of eagerness to come and bring praises to his name, we have to know the one we're worshipping. Let's pray. Oh, loving Father, you have revealed yourself to us in your word. Draw us to your word, Father, I pray. Lord, there is no other other than you. You did ask your disciples, are you going to leave too? And they said, yeah, for where? There is no one else. And so, Father, we thank you and praise you this morning as we come to you, the one that holds everything in your hands, the sovereign God who will keep everything right through eternity. You are the keeper of ourselves and we've been redeemed and bought with your precious blood. We are citizens of heaven of where we are. And so, Father, I thank you and praise you this morning for your greatness.